the Revolution Church podcast. Before we begin, we'd like to remind you that our ministry is supported 100% by listeners like you. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com slash donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website. I appreciate you joining me for this little evening gathering. Uh, Jay is out of town, and he asked me uh, yesterday if I wanted to cover this morning, Sunday morning for him, and I've been getting over some kind of bug. Um, Thankfully, not COVID, but I, I know it's not COVID, but I'm not sure what it is. Or what it was, but um, feeling a lot better than I was, um, especially like two days ago was kind of the, the peak of it. But I am feeling much better now, just about completely over it, I would say. I'm still here. I got a little bit of congestion going on still, but. So, hope everyone is having a wonderful Sunday, like I said. Um, yeah, so we're, we're talking about. I guess the, uh, the fruits that we bear, I don't know. That's kind of a, an abstract way to put it, but, uh, I think it'll become a little bit more, uh, obvious and tangible. Hello everyone. I see people saying hi, uh, as, as we go along here. So I, I want to start this talk with a story, um, that I am borrowing from the, uh, filmmaker Joe Swanberg. I don't know if anyone is familiar with Joe Swanberg, but he is a, uh, he's like a mumblecore director, um, uh, filmmaker and mumblecore is essentially a style of filmmaking where all of the dialogue is completely improvised. So it has a really kind of raw feel to it, a really raw rhythm, you know, in, in, uh, in scripted, uh, filmmaking, you know, everything is, is very, uh, kind of predictably timed and people wait for each other to finish their lines. There's not a lot of ums and, and awkward, you know, people don't ever misspeak or cough in the middle of a sentence and stuff like that. Um, I see Jason. Yeah. Jason saying, "Hope, hope I'm feeling better. I'm feeling much, much better than I was." Jason, I was, I was saying right when I started. Uh, yeah, I was, I was not doing very well a couple days ago. I had, I had like uh, um, cold sweats going on and chills, and um, yeah, I was not feeling well at all. But I'm much, much better than I was. Still a little bit of congestion left over, but um, but that is nothing compared to how I was feeling a couple days ago. So. So thank you for your concern. Yeah, so, so this is, I'm going to start with the, uh, a story based on um, a, uh, a story that Joe Swanberg tells through, um, I believe it's his only kind of uh, t- like TV series style uh, project that he's done, which is something that he did for Netflix called Easy. So on Netflix, there's, I believe, yeah, three seasons of a show called Easy. And I highly, highly recommend it. It's a very, very clever show. And um, 
Every episode is kind of a standalone episode, but as this as the uh, seasons progress, some characters return, and and some of the characters, even their storylines, kind of intertwine with each other. So it's, it's a very very clever um, mode of storytelling, and I just I, I like him a lot. I'm, he's one of my favorite directors, um, but. So this this story comes from uh, Easy, season two, episode six. It's called The Prodigal Daughter. And um, I don't believe that Joe Swanberg is a... Uh, I don't believe he's a Christian necessarily. I'm not sure. I really don't know. I have no idea. But um, none of his other work is, is necessarily uh, you know religious or spiritual per se. But this is just a really, really moving story. I've probably seen, I've probably watched this episode maybe like five or six times. And every single time I do, I I tear up by the end of it. Um, but I'm going to, so this is, I guess also a bit of a spoiler alert, uh, that, um, I'm going to tell you all the, the plot of this episode of easy, uh, in order to illustrate some points. So, so in what happens in, in, in this episode is it kind of tells the story of a high school senior, a senior, a high school senior who she's she's raised in a Catholic family that's very very well off. Um, she lives in a, in a real nice house. Um, you know they, they don't they don't want for anything. Her dad has a really good job. Uh, I believe her mom uh, is is comfortably employed as well. So they they have a yeah they're definitely upper class. Um, and uh, so one day she gets into trouble, as high schoolers do. She's a high school senior, and, and she gets into trouble by having a boy over um, without her parents knowing. And she gets caught. And so the punishment that her parents decide on is she has to go to church with them to mass uh, for the rest of the summer, every Sunday. And, um, you know, so that's not something that she normally does. She's not, you know, really into Christianity, not really into religion, uh, because this is a punishment, obviously. So it's not something that she's looking forward to. So she, uh, you know, begrudgingly goes to uh, church on Sunday with them. And in the Sunday school class that she attends... Um, they're discussing the story found in Matthew nineteen twenty four that most of us are probably familiar with about how it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And this really sticks with her uh, because she, you know, her family is rich, is, is, uh, upper middle class, if not, if not upper class. And so she kind of sees, you know, especially being a teenager at that age, um, she sees a lot of hypocrisy in her parents, in the fact that they're making her go to church and they present themselves as, as being very religious and spiritual. And yet, you know, from the mouth of Christ himself is this assertion that, um, it's very, very difficult, if not impossible, for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so, uh, she after after church, she uh, she kind of goes home and she she brings this up with her parents, and they they kind of dance around it a little bit, and say, "Oh, you know, there's many many different ways to translate that passage, whatever, whatever." And um, so she decides to to take it to take her spite a step further, and she takes her entire college savings, 
which is a total of, uh, I believe, what is it, like fifty thousand dollars? She she this uh, an insane amount of money. She pulls out of the bank and she donates it to the church, uh, just out of spite to her parents to say, you know, this is what you want me to do, right? You want me to go to church and and and, and learn how to be a good Christian? Well, I'm going to follow the teachings of Christ. Here I go, and and she she gives all of those all of her savings that her parents set aside for her to the church. And her her little scheme is successful. It upsets her parents uh, quite a bit, and she has she's being very snarky, and um, and uh, you know her her parents are enraged. There's a funny scene where her, her dad goes to the priest and um, you know like demands th- that he get the money back. You know he's like this was not this is not what the money was for, kind of thing. But he's not able to get the money back. Um, and then so she decides to upset her parents even further by skipping out on a family event and working at a, or volunteering at a, um, at a soup kitchen. So she does that also out of spite, just to kind of prove a point to her parents and to skip this family event. Well, here's where it gets interesting. While she's at the soup kitchen, she has a change of heart because... She realizes that these needy people who she's serving, a lot of them, the, the, the meal that she is giving them is the only meal that they will eat for the entire day. And, and that's shocking to her because she has never been exposed to that. You know, being raised in such a well-off environment, in such a, a, a well-to-do family, she's never seen anything like that. And she's never been exposed to that firsthand. And, and she's very moved. And, um, and so at that moment, it's kind of the pivotal moment. She has a change of heart and she genuinely cares and, and is, and is concerned for the, for the, for the well-being of these people and has a desire to, to serve these people and to help these people. And, um, and now, so so that's kind of her her her, her born again experience. That's kind of how she's she's, you know, transformed by the renewal of her mind, if you will, to 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 use some some scriptural language. Um, and so the next Sunday, she goes to church on her own. She's like, you you know, she's kind of starting to 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 feel a connection with these teachings, and she so she decides to go to mass on her own without her parents. Um, and, and while she's there, uh, the priest makes a big announcement in front of the congregation and says, um, you know, thanks to the very, very generous donation of one of our congregants, we received a $50,000 donation and we were able to refurbish our altar. And everyone applauds and, 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 and she's shocked because this money that could have easily gone to helping people like those whom she was serving in the soup kitchen, that you know, this money could have done wonders for the needy. Instead, the money was invested in refurbishing the church altar. And, uh, and the priest is like, well, it hasn't been done in years. It needed it so badly. But, you know, it's, it's kind of a silly moment, uh, a silly beat in the story there. But, but, but she's she's flabbergasted and just totally turned off and, and storms out of the church. You know, she storms out and her, her Sunday school teacher who was with her at the soup kitchen and, and, and was there for her kind of moment of having that change of heart runs after her outside of the church 
and says, you know, I, I know that that was awful. I acknowledge, you know, that was horrible. That shouldn't, the church should not have, have, have wasted your money like that. That was insulting to you. And it was, you know, a, a misuse of the generous donation that you made. Um, and she's like, I, I promise you, you know, that, that religion isn't always like that. Christians aren't all like that. Um, you know, and, and she begs, begs her to, to give the church another chance, but the girl, the main character won't, you know, she, she's done with church for, for the rest of the, of the story. And, and, um, it implies, you know, probably for the rest of her life, she's, she's turned off, she's done with it, but she continues to go to the soup kitchen and to work and volunteer at the soup kitchen because her heart has been transformed. She has been born again. And so she continues this work, this Christ-like work, helping the needy, feeding the hungry, um, while having divorced herself from religion and and from the church. And so the message that changes her heart, the experience that transforms her heart is not learning about her own total depravity. The message that, that turns her from being kind of a, a selfish, bratty teenager to being a loving, you know, Christ-like, you know, I guess servant would be a church word for it, um, is, is helping the needy and helping those around her. Um, the message is not how she needs, you know, uh, the, the blood of a perfect sacrifice in order to, to go to heaven. She needs the spilling of blood um, to cover her ineptitude. She needs to, it is not that she needs to say a special prayer and go to church consistently. And in fact, she doesn't return to church at all. But the message is that, that changes her is that, that she finds an interaction with true love, with true divine, uh, with, with, with the divine, I guess, with God. I, I was trying to, not to necessarily use the word God because I know that it can be tr- triggering to some people, but she finds a connection with God in serving others, in being Christ to others. Not in saying a sinner's prayer, not in in you know going to church and singing hymns, but in living a Christ-like existence, in emulating Christ. And in some of Christ's last moments that we that we see in Scripture, in some of his last moments with the disciples at the Passover, he sets this example for them of lovingly serving each other by washing his disciples' feet, which, which boggles their minds. Their, their rabbi, their teacher, flips the script and becomes their servant, in a way, and washes their feet. And he sets an example in that act of how we are to serve each other. By metaphor, you know, by, by metaphorically reenacting that washing of feet. And then after he washes their feet, he does something that's even more mind-boggling. He gives them a new commandment, which we're used to hearing language like this. 
nowadays. You know, Christianity's been around for a long time. The scripture has been around for a long time. We're, we're kind of almost numbed to this language. But he gives them a new, a new commandment, which is a huge deal. He, he essentially is revising the Torah. The only entity who can give commandments and give new commandments is God. And so he's taking on that role and giving a brand new commandment, amending, adding to the Torah, which is a huge deal, which is blasphemous. It's, it's unthinkable for a, for a human to do such a thing. It's heresy to add onto scripture. It would be like if I were like, hey, I got a new, new book of the Bible for y'all. You know, let's put this in there. Let's slide this one on in there. And his new commandment to them, I'm, I'm sure is probably familiar to, to most of us, is to love one another. And I, I want to actually read that passage word for word here. So he's, he's essentially, he's speaking for Yahweh. He's speaking as Yahweh, which to the Jewish people, for their rabbi to speak as Yahweh and to amend the Torah, which is the word of Yahweh. Like I say, I can't emphasize this enough. It's a huge, huge deal. So in, in uh, John 13, which I've got right here, uh, I'm going to start with verse 34 here. Okay, so this is Christ speaking to his disciples after having washed their feet at the Passover. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. And this is, the, this is what I'm going to focus on in the rest of the talk here, is that he says, by this, all people will know that you're my disciples. They will, they will know your nature. They'll know that you are my followers. If you have love for one another. Again, not if you go to church, or in this case, temple, I suppose. Not if you, if, if you say a certain prayer, if you, if you follow certain sacraments, if you follow the law of the Torah. You, you, well, I guess it would be the law of the Torah now because he's adding a new commandment, but it's the most important commandment. It's a commandment that sums up all the other commandments. It's fulfills, like Jay gave a, a, a talk on, um, I guess about a month ago or so, it's fulfilling all the other commandments. It fulfills the law. So this new commandment to love one another, and that is how you'll be known as a follower of Christ. That, that is how your true nature will, will come through. Oh yeah, I was going to, okay. It, yeah, it's, it's, it's love that shows our true nature, not, not, not what we do, not, not wearing a cross around our necks, not going to church. It's love. And then again, in, uh, in 1 John, uh, chapter 4, I'm going to start with verse 7 here. This point is kind of restated and even taken a step further. So uh, four, First John 4, Verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. I love this part. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Not 
whatever Christian, not whoever, you know, whatever, whatever church attendee loves, but whoever, whosoever, anyone, whoever loves knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And I'm going to jump down to uh, verse 16 in the same chapter. Um, God is love and Whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in them. That's a huge statement. Whoever loves abides in God, and God abides in them. Anyone. Not anyone who knows the name of Jesus. Not anyone who has said the sinner's prayer. Not anyone who attends church. Not anyone who is a Christian. But anyone who loves knows God, and God abides in them. Love, with a capital L, the force of love abides in them. And I'm going to go through, uh, yeah, through 18 here. Uh, there is no fear. Oh, okay, well, hold on. Yeah, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. And that's interesting. That actually kind of opens up a whole can of worms that I'm probably going to um, address in, in another talk down the road sometime. But, but, but think about that, that fear has to do with punishment, punishment, damnation. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. There is no fear in love, no fear of punishment. So, I mean, I, th- I think that that really opens up, that can open up a can of worms ab- about, um, about damnation and, and, uh, and, and how we approach the Bible's um, actual message about the idea of, of, of damnation or of punishment, of eternal punishment. Um, and so, if we truly know love, we don't, if we don't, I'm sorry, if we don't truly know love, if we don't understand perfect love, then such punishment as, as hell, as damnation is not in our worldview, is not, we we don't fear it. It's not real to us. It's not an actual consequence. And then, oh yeah, and then I was going to jump to, uh, Stay in First John for one more little snippet here, uh, in verse twenty. If anyone says I love God, and hates his sibling, he's a liar. They are a liar. For they who don't love, oh yeah. For I'm trying to change the pronouns, but I'm just going to read out how it is. For he who does not love his his sibling who he has seen, cannot love God, who he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love their siblings. So how do we love God? How do we know God? By loving each other. By loving the, not even just the body, the Christian body, but the human body, metaphorically speaking, of course. The, 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 
by, by loving our neighbor, by loving our enemy, by loving our sibling. We love God. If you want to love God, then love your neighbor, love your enemy. And this faith of ours, this faith of mine, anyhow, is not about impressing an invisible celestial deity up in the clouds. It's not about fearing the punishment that is consequence of my shortcomings. Like I, that's how I used to see it. About, you know, the, see my faith as being about earning a ticket, a pass into heaven. It was about fear. It was about fear of punishment. But as I just read, true love does not fear this punishment. So my faith is not about trying to impress a God or, or, or fearing a God and acting a certain way out of that fear, but it is about the here and now, about loving my siblings and in so doing, loving my God, loving my friends and my enemies. And I believe that Jay also uh, said this in a previous one of his talks, um, that it takes work to learn the love language of others. It takes a lot of work to love your neighbor, to, to, to love your sibling, um, because we all express love and experience love and receive love in different ways. Another way to put that is we have different love languages. And so, you know, that can take a lot of effort. It doesn't, it doesn't always look the same necessarily. You know, love your neighbor as yourself doesn't mean you, you love your neighbor in the way that you want to be loved. Everyone does not express it or receive it in the same way. So, yeah, it, it takes effort. It, it definitely does take effort. And Christ in, uh, in Matthew said to his disciples that they can know someone's true nature not by their beliefs that they profess, in other words, not by the, what church we attend, what denomination we attend, what doctrines we profess, but by our actions and how we treat others. And I'm going to read that from Matthew 7, which I do have bookmarked here in my Bible. Matthew 7. Uh, 15 through 20. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. So that's kind of the opposite side of it. Recognize those who are not abiding in love and love abiding in them, are not abiding in God and God abiding in them. You'll know them by their Rotten fruits, I suppose. I don't think that's a stretch to say, to, to, to uh, insert the word rotten there. You'll recognize them by their rotten fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? The answer is no, if, if you're not familiar with your hortico horticulture. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit. Can't do it. Nor can a diseased 
tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. And, and then you will be recognized by your fruits. Again, I'm going back to this point, not by the prayer that you've said, the sinner's prayer, not by the cross that you wear around your neck, not by the DC Talk CD that you have uh, on loop in your CD player in your car, but by your fruits, by your actions, by your love. And whoever loves knows God and God knows them and abides in God, and God abides in them. Whoever. That's a very inclusive approach to understanding Christianity. Not even just Christianity, but to understanding love. To under, that's how, that is a very inclusive faith, and that is, that is my faith. And so that is how, you know, that's, that's how we, we recognize the people maybe who, who, who do outwardly um, represent themselves as being followers of Christ, but are actually, you know, phonies, are, are, are misrepresenting themselves because they're not bearing the fruit of the Spirit, which, you know, I'm going to, of course, I'm going to read what that looks like specifically. Hope Jay doesn't get mad at me for reading from Galatians. Just joking. Of course he won't get mad, but I'm just joking because Jay loves Galatians. It's his favorite. I love it too. And in Galatians um, chapter 5, verse 22, we specifically learn what that fruit is, the good fruit that we bear when God abides in us, when love abides in us. You don't have to know God as God to experience love, to experience divine love. You don't have to know the name of Jesus. You don't have to have ever attended a Christian church to know love or to abide in love or for love to abide in you. But you will bear these fruits. I'm going to start in verse 22 here. Um, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. That's a hard one. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And, though, and I'm going to read this too. This is a... Uh, Verse 24, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And that kind of goes back to the, the story that I was retelling earlier um, from that, that show, Easy. Uh, that, that's that transform, transformation. That's the renewal of the mind, being born again, dying to yourself. These are some heavy metaphors that we get used to because we're kind of overexposed to them, perhaps. We hear them all the time. If, if you're raised in, in church, especially in evangelical church, terms, phrases like this are, are um, probably a little bit overused and, and, and almost like hidden in plain sight. We become numb to them. But these are, ra- these are radical ideas, dying to yourself, dying to your flesh and the, and the desires of the flesh, the selfish, the self-preservation 
I'm almost, I'm almost done here. I wanted to try to keep this kind of short and sweet, and we're just about at a half hour. So I'm going to wrap it up <clears throat> with this. My This is, if you've listened to other talks that I've given, chances are probably, there's probably like a 75% chance that I've used this passage of Scripture because right now it is easily one of my favorites. Um, it, it comes from the book of Matthew, and Matthew gives us a heavy story, a, a massive kind of, um, well, a, a parable, really. A parable about an epic final day, the final day of judgment. So the end all be all, the, the, the consequence of your actions is finally summed up and the fate of your soul is determined as you stand before Christ on Judgment Day. And this is in the book of Matthew, chapter 25. I love this passage of Scripture. It says, so here's how the parable goes. Okay, it's Judgment Day. Everyone's... Uh, everyone's soul, the soul of everyone who has ever existed, stands before Christ. When the Son of Man... Okay, this is... Now I'm reading from Scripture. Uh, verse 31, 25, 31. When the Son of Man comes in His glory, all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne, and before Him will be gathered all the nations. So everyone who's ever existed. He will separate them one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Which is kind of an antiquated um, metaphor, because I am not a shepherd. I don't know any shepherds. I've never separated sheep from goats or seen anyone do so. But we, we get the gist of it. He's, he's separating people by their nature, by their essence, by what they are. So he separates the sheep from the goats, and he'll place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then... The king, Christ, will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Why are they inheriting the kingdom? Why are they receiving eternal bliss? Why are they... Why is the consequence of their actions, of how they lived their lives, why is that... Why, why, why is, is, is the, the, the reward for how they live their lives eternal bliss? Christ says, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. This is Christ saying this to them. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Okay, you know, I, I, was, I, was, I, I was homeless and hungry, and you volunteered at a soup kitchen, and you fed me for one more day. And, and this, is, this confuses the people who he's addressing on his right. They're thinking, we, you know, what's, what, what's he talking about? The righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or when did we see you thirsty and give you drink and when? 
Did we see you a stranger and welcome you or see you naked and clothe you? And when did we see you in prison and and come and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did to the least of these, my siblings, my siblings, you did it to me. I love this passage of scripture because of that part that I just read. The fact that the the righteous, those who are inheriting the kingdom of heaven, are befuddled. They're confused. They're not anticipating it. They, They may not even recognize this Christ who is sitting on the throne giving them their final judgment. They may have never even heard the name of Christ. They're confused. When did we do this? When did we earn this? You know, they're probably expecting to receive the punishment, not the reward. They're befuddled. When did we do this? What are you talking about? Who are you even? As you did to the least of these, you did it to me. I was that homeless person who you, who you prepared a meal for. I was uh, the little old lady you helped cross the street, you know. That was me. I don't think he's saying necessarily literally, but as you do to the least of these, so you do to me. And then he will turn to those on his left. These are the people who are anticipating to receive the reward. These are the people who are anticip- who probably know, know the name of Christ, have gone to church every week, are, and are anticipating, oh, we've earned heaven. If these, if these guys in this group who didn't even know Christ got to go to heaven, oh, we're going to get heaven 2.0. And we can't wait to see what we get. He turns to those on his left and he says, depart from me. I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you didn't welcome me. I was naked, you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. And they will answer saying, Lord, but, but when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick in prison and did not minister to you? And he'll answer them and say, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. So, the, we're, we're known by the fruit that we bear, and we are known by how we treat others. And there are consequences to that. And, and in this parable that Matthew was telling us about Judgment Day, There are eternal consequences, the ultimate consequences. Not saying the sinner's prayer, not wearing the cross, not going to church, but loving each other, abiding in love, and by loving each other, loving Christ. Not in order to receive the reward. Like I said, the sheep are shocked to be receiving this reward. They didn't probably even know the reward was on the table that it existed, that it was a potential thing that they could receive, that it was a potentiality as far as the the destiny of their souls. They earned it not 
by intentionally checking things off of a list of the, that, that would get them into heaven. But then those who do anticipate getting into heaven, those who do try to, you know, I, I guess you could say kind of earn their way into heaven, did not take care of the needy and did not, in, you know, in effect serve Christ and do not receive this eternal blissful reward. In the story, they, they receive damnation. The exact opposite. So yeah, that's, that's kind of the point, I suppose, of my talk here, is that um, it's not about... It's not about uh, being in a club. It's not about having checked off the right things on some list of qualifiers that earn us an eternal outcome. It is about abiding in love. And then when you abide in love, you want to do these things. In, in that story that I told at the, at the start of my talk, the main character, the girl, she, she, the, the young lady, she does not keep going to the soup kitchen out of if, uh, because she feels like she's required to. She stops going to church altogether and in so doing becomes more Christ-like. In so doing, she shows love to Christ. She's feeding Christ. She even, in another part of the, of the story, she, she gives uh, like tents and sleeping bags to some homeless people. She, so she's clothing and, 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 and providing warmth to Christ. And her parents and, and the other congregation members of her church are confused. Why are you associating with these dirty people? She's showing love to Christ. Genuinely. Not out of obligation. She probably hasn't even read these passages the, the, you know, she hasn't probably read Matthew 25, the story about separating the, the sheep from the goats. But she does it. it. It comes from love. A, you know, a, uh, uh, there's another passage of scripture that says, you know, it, essentially, a fig tree can't bear apples. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly what, what fruit, I can't recall. Uh, but, you know, you, you can't, but from your nature overflows your actions. In Luke, it says, out of the overflow of your heart, the of, of the heart, the mouth speaks. It just happens. It's not something we can force. All right, that, that wraps up my talk. Uh, I'm going to see if we have any comments or questions. We are now transitioning to Afterglow. And thank you all who have who stuck with here. I appreciate it. Uh, 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 uh. Uh, Stephen said they will know we are Christian by what? Um, I'm not sure if that's. Yeah, they'll they'll know we. Are, I'm not sure if you're actually asking Stephen. Uh, they'll yeah by by our actions by 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 the fruit that we bear, metaphorically speaking. Um, Dwayne is giving me some thank yous. Thank you, Dwayne, for sticking with. Um, some yeah, oh yeah! Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Forgot I should have mentioned that at the start here. Happy Father's Day. Uh, Fanny says, "Don't let your left hand know what your right hand does." Yeah, that's that's another great way to put it. Um, 
you know, not showing love to others, not, not, not showing kindness to others or feeding the hungry um, so that others will see you, but uh, just as an overflow of the love that is in you, which First John expresses as, as, as God in you. That's beautiful, I think. That sums it all up for me. That is, what, that is my faith. And then Stephen said, I think there should be another relay they're allowed isn't into that crazy. I'm not, I'm not sure what that, I'm not sure what you're saying there, buddy. Um, uh, there should be another relay that's allowed. Oh, another relay they're allowed that isn't. Oh, are you, oh, okay. You're saying not going to hell. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't read on, I intentionally honestly didn't read that, uh, that part of the story in Matthew 25 about him sending the, the goats into the eternal fire prepared for the demons, for, for Satan and the demons, uh, because I don't think if, if, if Matthew, uh, did write that and did intend that to be read that way. Um, I think I maybe wrote it as a metaphor, as a part of a parable. Uh, maybe he was speaking to people who believed whose worldview included hell, included damnation, but mine does not. Um, so I, I didn't read that part. Um, yeah. So anywho, that's the, I, I don't see any more questions or comments. Um, and again, thank you all very, Oh, I'm sorry. Stevenson's saying something else here now. Oh no, I'm not even worried about how, but they're all, we're all invited to the big banquet. Absolutely. Totally. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Whosoever loves, whoever loves, not whatever Christian loves knows God, not, you know, there's no qualifiers there except whoever loves knows God and is in God and God is in them. Love it. Love it. Uh, All right. I guess that's it. And remember, the, the, the sheep are surprised to get into heaven. I like to think they don't even recognize Christ. I like to think they've never even heard the name of Christ. Uh, and Jim says, love you. See, love you too, Jim. And we got to, Jim, we got to hang out soon. Jim's a, another uh, Seattle resident. We got we to gotta hang out. There's quite a few revolution listeners, uh, uh, members if you will, who, who live here in Seattle. It's, it's surprising. Um, Steven says, Caleb, thank you for getting us late night dinner. Absolutely. Um, uh, I do apologize for not being able to do it this morning. Um, but I wasn't, I was in no shape to do it then. I'm, I'm, I'm on the mend now feeling much better. You can probably still hear a little bit of the congestion, the cold, uh, left over in my, in my voice. But, uh, but yeah, Barry McBride says, thank you. Thank you all again. Uh, you're very, very welcome. Happy to do it. And um, I will, uh, I'll see y'all on, on the flippity flop. See you on the flip side. And have a wonderful evening. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers. And uh, many blessings and much love to all of you. See you soon. We'd like to remind you that our ministry is supported 100% 
by listeners like you. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website.